You can see my award-winning climate comedy show spoilers at a festival near you, provided you live near or are going to McHuncliffe or Wells Comedy Festivals. More dates added soon near you, conceivably, who knows what might happen. And if you are at Mac, come and see ComCom Redacted live at 4pm on the Saturday. Go to stuartgoldsmith.com and click the very attractive banner image to find out more. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. This is a podcast from ComediansComedian.com. This is the Comedian's Comedian Podcast. Hello, welcome to the show. I'm Stuart Goldsmith. And today I'm very pleased to bring you a conversation with um, someone who is an old friend of mine and I have always considered prodigiously talented. Um, She's absolutely just one of those people who is is tapped into... uh, just funniness somehow, um, as uh, as you'll hear. Um, she just has a, an amazing view of the world and uh, a very, very uh, easy facility with uh, with uh, accents and voices and a, and a, a fascinatingly skewed perception. Um, this is the absolutely lovely and very, very funny Katie Wicks. Welcome to the Comedian's Comedian, Katie Wicks. Um, oh, Thanks for thanks for doing it. <laughs> you're uh, we, creating it. We should explain from the point of view of the listener that you are uh, you're eating soup, and I notice you're very politely doing it very quietly now. I'm doing it from the right angle, which is the back. Nice. Where did you learn to eat soup correctly? Um, because one side of my family is really posh, and one side are like scum. Which side is your <laughs> mum? Because I'm really <laughs> to ask you how your mum is. So I know that from the posh side. <laughs> Mandy Wicks is pretty good, actually. Happy so days. I saw her around Christmas time, Christmas Day, <laughs> specifically <laughs> Christmas time, Christmas Day. Yeah, she's good. She, um, I don't think I'll tell her about this though. No offence. Just if you sort of feel like your mum's listening in every time you go to speak, in a weird, I was going to say Freudian, but it's probably it's not e- no. It's not Oedipus Complex, is it, when it's your mum? It'd be Electra. No, Electra's dad. Electra's girls and dads, yeah. I don't know what. Is, there a, is there a complex for women and mums? It's got to uh, be. I mean, there's got to be. I mean, the Greeks have Anyway, it will feel, like, oppressive if I think about her listening in. <laughs> I, never have to, I never have to worry about that. My mum doesn't uh, watch or listen to anything I do. Is there a reason for that? I don't know. I think it's You're because... You're not her cup of tea. My, yeah. <laughs> just, just not fast. No, no. She I, just likes spoof. I think... She doesn't really uh, like what you do. <laughs> she 
She likes sleeper shows. She likes uh, she likes uh, political stuff. <laughs> she likes Bill Hicks. I don't cut the mustard. So we uh, we met many years ago. We did at yeah. Royal Welsh College, and I want to talk about that. We'll we'll start off talking about that, but it does occur to me that um, you are someone who probably you'll be more. Probably more people will recognise you than will know your name. Is that fair? I think, think. Well, I think I get lots of stand-ups on here whose name is their whole thing. Oh, okay. Because so you're like, known primarily as a as their an name is their brand. Yeah. Tell us yeah, about the that's, brand that's of a, Katie Wicks. I'm not Katie Brand. Is that what you're trying to say? <laughs> um, I suppose. Never thought about it like that before. Yeah. It might be oh that that girl off that thing. Yeah. So, which girl are, are you off which thing for, for, the, for the benefit of people who don't know who you are, but have bothered downloading this even though they didn't know who I you really, are, which I, I really respect. I have to go through my CV. Well, let's... I hate having to do that. It's like, that's why I don't tell hairdressers what I do. Because then they'll say, what have you been in? And, I feel, and then I feel really uncomfortable. So now I've started saying I work... And then I've started saying I work in an art gallery. <laughs> nice. Do they ask you questions about the art gallery or do no, they climb up? No, that's why I say it. Brilliant. Because one time, I shot myself in the foot. I said that I worked on TV. Because, you know, at least I thought I could answer questions on that. Then afterwards, when I went to pay, she said, oh, you get a discount if you work for the BBC. If you're BBC staff, do you have your pass? And I went, oh, no, I don't have it. So that's gone. Can't say that anymore. And I don't have... I'm too proud to say I'm just working like I'm a temp. I'm too proud (laughs) to say, oh, I work in an office. So it has to be something that sort of reflects my arty side, because mm. I want them to know that. Okay. So I start saying I work in an art gallery. That's nice. That's nice. <laughs> there's, there's, there's hardly any questions after I've said that. No, it's never gone beyond that. But you're, I mean, I think of you, you're probably, yeah. you're probably more famous for, for playing Daisy in Not Going Out. That's probably, yes. has that got the biggest reach of stuff that you've done? Do you get no, recognised for right. that? you're right. It is. Um, which is weird because, well, it's fine, but I guess it's weird because it's, it's a couple of, it's like 10 weeks a year. So in my head, it's, it's, you know, that's all it is. And in the and meantime, you've been working for years on yeah. your own thing and being you and the double act with Anna. Yeah. And like, and, you put you know, a, like that's the thing you've been creating. Mm. So isn't that odd to be, to be sort of famous? Are you, are you at the game stopped in the street level of fame? Because yeah, I, I think you were the Anna and Katie Anna. Oh, Katie. I think you were the Anna and Katie Anna. Please don't start doing that. <laughs> um, yeah, I, ju- just recently it's happened more and more, being recognised in the street. And I think, I mean, it's a couple of things, isn't it? It's like a build-up of, like, we did those, those that ad, the ad campaign. And then not going, ten episodes of Not Going Out has just been on. And I was on quite a lot over Christmas. So... Yeah, I always know when things are out because you, there's a certain look now that I sort of recognise where it's like a slight double take and it, it's just the look now that people do when they sort of know your face. But you know what started happening, and it's quite odd, is that I'll, I'll suddenly get a tweet, and it's usually from a bloke, and it will say, I've just seen you and wherever I've just been. Like I was just filming in Glasgow before Christmas. And there's quite a lot of like, oh my God, I was in a pub and I was sat opposite you. Or I've just seen Katie Wicks at such and such station. And I'll think back, I'll know exactly who it was. Oh, I'll be able to think back and I'll remember exactly the point at which someone looked at me. And I think, yeah. And if there's a photo, then I can confirm that that, (laughs) my perception skills are top notch. 
Could you throw them? Could you throw that back at them? Could you reply to the tweet? Go, yes, I saw you. I, re- I saw you. I could do. But it's one time I was on the tube and there was a guy opposite me. I sat down and he looked up and he, he did a reaction. Mm. And I thought immediately, okay, I think I know what's happened. Um, but rather than... Sometimes it's better when people just say it. Because when they don't say it, there's just a weird atmosphere hanging. And I start to feel... I know that sounds really sort of precious of me. I didn't think he, he, I was in danger. But rather than say anything, he just leant forward. He was so kind of in my space. And he was just sort of staring. And I could tell that he was kind of building up to say something. And it just went on for so long. And then it made me kind of retreat back into my seat. And then I wasn't able to look up. I had to keep looking down. Because as soon as I looked up, it was like an invitation. I knew that as soon as we made eye contact, it would start. So I just was like rigidly looking down. It was so odd. I even had like a sore neck. I mean, it was like quite a long journey. And And then eventually, just before he went to get off, he stood up. And he went, excuse me, are you okay? Are you okay, Wiggs? Like, really, like, <laughs> like, really leaning over me. It was horrible. And I went, yes. And then, of course, there was no escape. We had this, he sort of, he put his face quite close to mine and asked me some quite, I don't know, just intense questions. And then, later on, tweeted me, saying, oh, she's really nice. <laughs> so, it was obviously enough. Do you... Um... Keep him sweet. Do you, well, you said it like you didn't want to engage in that. Is that because you're sort of, uh, well, the way you describe it, it sounds like you're a bit kind of, um, uh, like, not scared of it exactly, but you, yeah. uh, you, you, you're retreating, you're retiring. I'm a bit scared of it. There's a certain level of fame I don't think I'm interested in. And I don't, I think my agent will be annoyed <laughs> if she hears me say that out loud. But I think it's a shyness, maybe. Because as I get older, weirdly, like doing things like this, there's a thing now as I get older where I'm, I'm feeling a bit more like I want to let people in. Okay. And I'm up for, like, being seen. Whereas up until now, there's a feeling of, like, you know, it's, it's that weird um, dichotomy that you can be shy and perform because it's not... It's a, it's a, you're performing you. It's a, it's a sort of false intimacy that you can get away with. You mm. don't really have to expose yourself at all. Similarly, like, if you, if you don't write something and you're in someone else's thing, then there's, it's not... If everyone hates it, you can just blame the writing. Yes. But well, I'm, I'm, I'm getting braver. I'm writing things and... I wanted to know, ask you about that because... Exposing my soul. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> for, um, for people that, uh, that don't know you, or for people that will have followed your career at Edinburgh over the last ten years, mm. say... Um, people will know you from uh, your double act with Anna Crilly, mm-hmm. uh, which years I've forgotten this completely, but I saw it. But did you do two years at Edinburgh with Penny Spar? No, we did more than that. We did, yeah, we were called Penny Spar. This is a carrot now, sorry. What's happening here? It's been a carrot for a while, in case anyone was worried that that was quite loud. Super. It's always been a carrot, hasn't it? <laughs> I can't deny it, it hasn't changed. Um, mm, we, were pe- we were called Penny Spub. And then there was Penny Spub's party. Yeah. 2005, 2006, yeah. we were Penny's Bob. Then, I think we changed to Anna and Katie. 2009 was our last full Edinburgh. And, and just describe for us what sort of show that was, because it wasn't like anything I've seen before you know or what? since, I have to say. Well, that's lush. You know what's weird about that, that first year? What strikes me as bizarre about it was, yeah, because that was our most successful year in many ways in terms of the sort of attention you get. Yeah. And it's so funny because I see it now with the, like, with the little ones coming through. 
you see, they are, you know, really talented and I find them, I'm jealous of them and I want to be them or sleep with them or do something. I'll do them. <laughs> it's so exciting to see this little, you know, that how they're going to, what, what they've done and what they've subverted and what they've been influenced by and what yes. they're now doing. It does really excite me. I sort of fetishise their youth and stand there watching them. But um, I've got my points. I've been thinking. Oh, yes. But what's really weird is seeing the attention they get because they're new and like the hot young thing. And once you've been through it yourself, it's a funny thing. It suddenly feels really like it's not always helpful because you kind of, it doesn't give you time to kind of breathe and develop without that pressure. Yes, there is a feeling like that's it. As soon as you do your first show, it's like yeah. your first album, you've arrived now, this is it. Yeah. You've got to have hit and the ground running and be incredible. And, this and industry's a bit obsessed with the new thing and you... But, so what was funny about our first ever Edinburgh, so when we were brand new and we were young, was we hadn't... I mean, Anna was already a stand-up and quite brilliant, but we hadn't seen much live sketch comedy... So okay. we were completely naive to what was normal. So we were kind of surprised when people were saying, oh, this is new, this is different, this is weird. Yes. Why they do, you know, oh, this is so, like there were quotes like, oh, this is like Samuel Beckett on Laughing Gas. And again, it's like, that's happened to us throughout our career with me and Anna's stuff that, like when we did the TV version, we thought we'd really, it was tame. We thought it was really logical and... <laughs> <laughs> and easy access and was really clear and we'd really had to we we couldn't just do something stupid for the sake of it we really had to like think about it and justify and, and when for, people say it's so surreal i think that's not that's like that you should have seen like version one like, yeah absolutely talking well, about? just just describe for us the difference <laughs> between version one between the first penny spot <laughs> okay. and anna and katie because we people who've well, seen anna and katie will know and I, I watched some of it again recently to refresh my memory oh. But there's uh, there's you as police women, where are police officers with oh, arms that are arms. twice as long, so your fist is sort of where the elbow is, and you've got a sort of arms. There's it will there's go nice Britannia. Yeah, you know, there's it will no, go that... something like this. It will go when I think about when we wrote the Penny Spub, It was just what everyone says. This it was just what made us laugh. We didn't. It was just what made us giggle. There's we ha- we used to have a sketch about Michael Bublé and his wife and. <laughs> I don't think we've ever laughed so much. <laughs> but we knew that we were, couldn't wait to perform it because it was just, we were wetting our pants so much when we were writing it. Um, but it sort of feels like someone will say something and no one will go, oh, that's weird. It will just go, oh, you know, I remember just sort of having a conversation about the long-armed people were, when we do it live, they're, they're South African, quite bigoted men who have got really long arms. <laughs> I, remember really... that. I remember that was in the Roxy. <laughs> was it? No, I remember seeing that now. No, no, was it not? No, what's the I, Roxy? I don't. I felt, I, maybe I've got the wrong name. It's on the corner. It's on the the one that's yeah, on really the rake. with the rake. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, it's I, I think it's been then. called different things over the years. It has been. Yeah, since that sketch. <laughs> <laughs> um, we there's something really fun about women playing that really horrible, <laughs> bigoted women hating men. We find that really amusing. Um, and one of the one of the early sketches I remember was the uh, was it you you had sort of like an egg big, for a head an egg for a head yeah. and you go shamai and you were behaving yeah, like a bloke and Welsh. kind of moving your legs. Uh, but we um, I just remember like something we'll talk about an idea for a sketch and then I remember Anna sort of saying 
Or what about if they had really long arms? And then that's it. It just gets written down. Like, there's no sort of blocking, as you'd say. That's how it happens. It's just sort of, you know, it's just a little sort of imagination tower being built. So how did you meet Anna? Um, We... So Anna was a stand-up, and I entered the Funny Women competition as a stand-up. This is a normal... Solo stand. When, we when we when I knew you yes, when I was in college. Yes, I've just remembered because yeah. I remember the bits I remember from that when you were wearing a, a sort of a, a yellow coat on stage and did you have you to maybe carry I a had bag, a, yeah and you were Angelos. talking about <laughs> speaking at, what that you were talking about you went to London because you were you sell a bike. bike. Yes, sell the bike. No, but that was later. This was like totally normal straight okay. stand up. Oh, oh really? That was like my first on, ever TV job. Where you're from? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no. the first bit. Yeah, but without saying where you're from. Yeah, because cause it was we were it was it was just before we graduated. Yes, from we went to drama. So we did the, we did the Royal Welsh College of Music and mm. Drama. Sort of what was it like nine month long post grad? Yeah, it was a year post grad course, yeah, wasn't okay. it? So I remember that someone said, saw it advertised in the paper, the Funny Women Awards, and said you should enter. But I think you know because don't you think there's that thing of when you do a drama school course, it's like that's probably when you you're you're most like confident and feeling like you you're taking it seriously, and there's a sort yeah. of like you feel like there's this craft. I don't know if I could have done it without being in that environment where you're sort of encouraged to kind of take yourself seriously that you're this kind of artist. I think I would have been too scared otherwise. But, it, yeah, it was straight stand-up, but I wrote it and learnt it like a monologue. I just stood there and said it. There was no interaction. Okay. Isn't it weird how, like, the first time... Because I've been in sort of plays and stuff before, but I remember that... I don't know, I've heard other stand-ups talk about this. The first... So that was my first ever gig, was the Funny Women Awards, which was the semi-finals. And then my second ever gig ever was at the Comedy Store at the final. And that's ridiculous, that yes. your second gig at the Comedy Store. I thought it was going to be sick. Do you um, remember the material? Yeah, and I remember... I mean, obviously, it was... it was Yeah, it was shit, because I hadn't seen that much stand-up. And it was quite anecdotal. It was about growing up in Wales, so it was mostly true. There was a really good... Um, I knew I had, like, confidence to sort of pull it off. And I remember just thinking, well, that's half the thing, isn't it? Just, I knew, like, the timing was going to be okay, but I don't think the material was any good. I mean, I guess it was original. What, do you remember any of the jokes? Do you remember any specific oh, jokes? Um, well, oh, I remember that... <clears throat> and this is genuinely true, that we had had a policeman came to the school, like an anti-drugs talk... And he was really thick. Um, he was called PC Bates. He was just like the village policeman that used to just get involved in things. Because I remember that someone had found speed under the piano lid and he was called into the school. But he gave this talk about anti-drugs. And at the end of the talk, he went, so basically, look out, look out for drugs. They're mostly white. <laughs> I remember you saying that. And that, <laughs> that helped. I think I might have put that in quite early. It's extraordinary. It's like, I remember saying it this Christmas. We say it a lot in my house. It's like one of those little mythical stories. Um, so, yes, yeah, so we were, in the, we were in the Funny Women Awards together. And Anna had a brilliant set. You had to do like 10 minutes, I think. She had a really funny set. 
she she came on and did an impression of a jellyfish, which I later then referenced when I was her maid of honour at her wedding. Oh, lovely. Um, and it was that thing of, you know, it felt like we were the only people who really sort of got each other's yes. material. It was like a date that had gone really well. It felt like no one else was laughing, that we were just laughing at each other. And then I went back to living with my parents in Wales. And um, I think she rang, like, the house, the house phone one day and sort of said, hi, is Katie there? <laughs> so, it's sweet and innocent to think of it happening like that now. And I'm like, for me, I'm going to ring your mum's house. <laughs> is Katie there? And I was like, oh, hi. I think we had this conversation where she was like, do you want to try writing some stuff together? So I used to come up to London, a two-hour train journey, and we'd, like, write in a pub. And sometimes I'd stay over at her, at her place. I remember she had this spare room, and her housemate had one doom at O'Leary's bed from the weird <laughs> competition. So it used to, this weird joke that I used to sleep in doom at O'Leary's bed. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm, he's not my cup of tea. I wasn't even bothered. <laughs> everyone else seemed to be really excited about that but yeah we'd sit in a pub and it was just that slightly magical thing of going this is a really mean thing like I all my female friends are always have always been incredibly funny but I remember sort of thinking oh wow this feels like really funny and we're just like two women <laughs> <laughs> what, what does that mean how do you mean well I remember sort of thinking I'd seen a lot of um I mean, not gender-specific. I remember just at that point, I'd seen a lot of sketch stuff that I didn't like, that I really didn't like. And I remember just thinking, I don't think she thinking she was genuinely funny, and it was really exciting. Do you mean sketch stuff on TV, like famous sketch stuff or stuff in, um, in comedy clubs? No, yeah, not so much on TV. Because actually I've got amazing memories of sketch shows on TV. So what were, the, what were the sorts of things that you didn't like? What were the sorts of things that you wanted to be well, different to? naming names. I just remember... Without naming names. At that point, I used to get the train up to London and I used to see stuff live. And yes. I'd start to get a sense of who I was obsessed with. And... What did I see? I did just see, like... Mm, I don't know. You know, like bad sketch. Because <laughs> I can't even remember now because I just probably wouldn't have remembered it. I only remembered the stuff that was good. And we're talking like 2004 or something, okay. 2005 at this point. And who, were you seeing any sketch groups that you were going, hang on, these... these oh, like, I used there? to come... Well, like, I, like, Ealing Life was just before me. I was still living yes. in Wales. But I remember seeing Warren Meaton and being obsessed yes. with that. And... Oh, and like, Conlon Fergus, that was like... It was like a huge, I just remember thinking, wow. Like, I, I still to this day think I'm one of their biggest, biggest fans. I love Colin Fergus. I know, yeah, but Greek it's sad. Tales. I know. And getting, getting her name wrong and oh, her correcting yeah. brilliant. Sarah. <laughs> I like when Colin used to say, who was beautiful but died. Yeah. <laughs> I'm my, such a my sad wife. fan. <laughs> fan girl. Um, and, I mean, here, like, we started... It's funny, isn't it? Like Edinburgh, you feel like you have your year. It feels like school years. Yes. Because our year were like, you know, so like Tommy in the Weeks, Pappies, Fat Tongue. Oh, there's probably loads. I'm, I'm just forgetting. Those are ones that stand out. Yeah, that felt like our, our year. And, oh, God, yeah, and Congress of Oddities. Oh, I Margaret never... And oh, was that Margaret? Yes, mm, okay, I did mm. see that. I did, yeah. 
I, I have such sort of fondness for it all, looking back. The scene. And do you... Well, I, I mean, I'd love to know how, what you feel the scene that you're in at the moment is. I don't can, think I'm anyone anymore. I don't know. I think that... I don't re- know. I am in different camps, I guess. Yes. For me, that, that kind like of that that. reflects what happens with stand-up, whereby you all hang out at the same open spot gigs yeah. together. Then when you get successful enough to be working for money, you just go and be the new kid at a club full of... Yeah. I'm not going to say bitter old comics. I don't mean that. But you know what I mean? You're not in your gang anymore. Oh, but they do exist, don't they? Bitter old comics. <laughs> Early, earlier, the listeners should date. And without naming any names, I think Katie said a wonderful sentence... Oh, I've got something on everybody. <laughs> so we have been, True. We have been No, discussing... I said I'm highly perceptive. I said, didn't I? <laughs> so we're, we're considering recording a special episode of this for a vault to be released uh, with all the dirt on everyone. After I die. After Katie dies. It's not all dirt. Some of it's... Um... What's the opposite of dirt? It's like a nice thing, like polish. Gloss. Glitter. I gloss. gloss. Yeah, glitter. Something glitter. Like Some yeah. of it's glitter. Yeah. Some of it's just the truth. I don't know. I'm going to eat a bit of carrot and think about that. So if, you, if you're interested in uh, catching up with some of Katie's work, Anna and Katie, uh, her TV show, sketch show, is still available uh, at channel4.com, which I guess must be the same thing as four on demand but it appears to be a different website but have a google for that i'm sure it won't take you long to find it um and uh, the oberon book of comic monologues for women uh, by katie wicks is available at amazon.com and all half decent bookshops i'm sure and um, so do do check those out um, really enjoyed talking to Katie. Um, as I believe I mentioned to you in the last show, I'm just on my way to New Zealand. Sorry to bang on about it, but I'm leaving in very few hours and I still haven't packed. So <laughs> I'm going to keep this mercifully brief. I'd like to do a quick shout out to my friend. I, I, Comcom doesn't really do shout outs, but, um, but basically my friend Anne is uh, is languishing in a sick bay somewhere with a horrific eye disease. And uh, someone told me that she's catching up on uh, on these uh, these episodes i've probably mentioned in the past how much i'm looking forward to being elderly demented senile what have you and uh, and being able to listen back to these conversations myself so it, it warms my heart um, to think that uh, in their time of need people can listen to me banging on about process uh, so anyway lots of love to you and i hope your awful eye condition gets better i'm sure it will um, I'm sure it will, he says, like a radio DJ. I know literally nothing. I'm, I'm sure it will. I'm sure you'll be fine. Fuck, I hope you are fine. Oh, this, I mean, this is going to be terrifically, this is going to be horrible now if I get a text in a few weeks from Anne saying, yeah, I lost the eye, but thanks for the uh, chirpy banter along the way. Anyway, lots of love to you, Anne. Um, there is a Peter Buckley Hill uh, free fringe benefit gig coming up at the Bloomsbury Theatre. And that, I think... And now, listen, I'm going to check. I, I don't hold with doing this, as you know, uh, whilst I'm talking to you. Um, but I am just going to double check the date. Um, Thursday, the 15th of January. So you, all that's tonight, if we manage to get this out on Thursday. So get your skates on. If you missed that, then there may be another one coming along soon. Um, support Peter Buckley Hill's Free Fringe. Uh, it is the original and finest. And, uh, uh, and it, re- it relies solely on income generated uh, within the organisation itself and uh, not by anyone paying any fees of any kind, which I think is a, a very noble uh, pursuit. So um, have a look out for that. Uh, that is, I think, everything I'm going to do for now. You can donate to the show if you're enjoying it, if you feel it's making a difference to your life or your, your work. Uh, you can feel free to donate a pound a show, 
uh, a one-off donation of 20 quid or whatever you think is appropriate, go to comedianscomedian.com and click on the easily visible and obvious PayPal button. New website coming soon. Very excited about that. So uh, keep watching the internet. <laughs> that's, I mean, that's the advice that we all give each other these days, don't we? We used to have conversations and now we just talk about what videos we've seen. Um, and one day that will grow to take over the way in which we converse uh, and instead of saying that we are happy or sad, we will simply say to one another, how are you feeling? Yeah, yeah, I'm like when the, the guy with the afro did a backflip. Um, but keep watching the internet is my advice to you, um, because we've got an exciting new website coming soon. But in the meantime, uh, you can also remember, you can, uh, as well as clicking on the PayPal button at comedianscomedian.com, you can also uh, patronise me at patreon.com slash ccp for Comedians Comedian Podcast. So uh, please feel free to do those things. Uh, give us a rating on iTunes if you haven't done that already. If it's been a while since you've popped over to iTunes, then have a look on that. We've got some lovely five-star ratings, so uh, please add to those if you would care to. Um, and tell people about it. You have been doing that. I've noticed a sort of steady incline in the amount of uh, the, the viewing numbers that I get, such as they are uh, uh, legible or understandable in any form. Um, and uh, I do feel that the show is growing, and I, I keep having people come up to me at festivals and uh, in the street, <laughs> tapping me on the shoulder at buses and going, I recognise that laugh. Um, so uh, I thank you very much for doing that. You're all helping to make this show a, a success. And uh, that just means I can devote more of my life to it and bring you more interviews with more people. Coming up next week, uh, Andrew O'Neill and then Tom Tuck and, uh, and Ursula Carlson, who I can't wait to bring you that one. It should be great fun. Had a brilliant interview with, uh, with Tom Tuck. I know a lot of you are very excited about that. I saw on Twitter. Um, Tom is one of the... Uh, one of the longest one I don't know he one of the comedians who got into the show the earliest and has been nothing but supportive we've been trying to get a, a time to make that interview happen for some time and uh, it really he's as I say to him I think in the episode um you're a you're a long-term listener of the show Tom so I'm going to be extra hard on you so if you enjoyed the Alfie Brown one I think you'll get a lot out of the Tom Tuck one as well that's coming up very soon um that is all for now thanks for listening uh, share it with a friend give us a review throw money at my face and tell people about it in the street and in hospitals where people are recovering from eye conditions. Now let's get back to Katie Wick. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. So I have this very distinct memory of you in the yellow coat. Mm. Um, that was line. 28 acts in 28 minutes. Yes, that My was it, yes. My first ever TV appearance ever. Yes. Now, was that, that was, because that's, seeing that show recorded, um, and was that the one where I had Jason Byrne in his pants? 
and um, probably Andrew Lawrence doing the Bullied at School song. I remember yeah, I was there to right. see it recorded. That sounds right. And I remember yes, seeing you. We were in a green room. I remember seeing together. you in the green room, and it was that point at which I went, "Sod this! I'm going to start doing stand-up comedy. I can't not be part of this." Because of me and my yellow coat. Because of you and your yellow coat. And I remember you talking. Oh. The line was, um, uh, "I went to London to sell my bike, and I got two tubes." And you said, "Speaking of which." Mine are tied, can't have kids, which is a shame because I bloody love them. Oh, <laughs> sounds like Kevin Steve. No, it was something like I came on the tube. Speaking of tubes, mine are twisted, can't have kids. It's dark. Um, what I mostly remember about that was that I had been listening to the Boosh on radio and obsessed with it. Yes, and being and in the same room as Nile Fielding was like a bit too much for me. Yeah, and he was so sweet to me. He was really sweet. Um, and I would have been about we were we, I would have been about twenty three. It was like it was really exciting. So when I you were... like stroke my hair, it was like it was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> it was quite a moment. When you were writing with Anna, mm. um, what were you were you both kind of bring, what what did that look? What did that process look like? Were you both bringing in ideas that you'd had, or were you mm. riffing with each other? What how did it work? It's always been quite similar, actually. Um, it's always that thing of usually a kitchen table, one of us, we take turns to type while the other sometimes moves about, makes tea. We drink a lot of tea. Um, it was funny, actually. When we were writing for the series, we wrote for about six months for the for the sketch show, the Channel 4 one, and um, I went to her house a lot. She, was, she had a... She just bought a house, and she had these Polish builders in, and I found it so funny, like, what the, what the hell they must have thought we did for a living. Because <laughs> sometimes we just have a little sleep, sometimes in the afternoon. That sounds awful. We're not lazy. But just, you know, if it wasn't going anywhere. But I remember just thinking it must have been so weird through their eyes, these two grown women, sort of in the house during the day, watching things on YouTube, laughing, and then periods of silence where they're just both on laptops. Uh, it was just, it must have looked so strange. I think they thought we were like kept women. <laughs> yeah. And did you? What? What were the? Was it? Was it easy? Did you feel like it was an easy writing process? Did you have? Did you have strategies for when the stuff wouldn't come? Or did um, it just? You just got lucky. Well, I remember about writing for live in the old days, the halcyon days, where there was no structure. You know, you didn't have to. We were just completely free. That's what I miss, and that's what's so amazing, isn't it? About doing live is there's no restrictions and we really adhered to that <laughs> we didn't want any logic was like the enemy um was we would just write things down that made us laugh so much and sometimes uh things didn't get written down it's like even now to this day we did we did a gig the other day we haven't gigged in ages and i just think like none of our stuff is ever written down but we've done whole shows where i think things just developed and they never got written down because we'd read We'd find like old versions of sketches and go, that's not how the sketch was in the end. Mm. Where's that? Oh, I don't know. And then we'd just rely on memories. We were performing it, going, didn't I at this point like pretend that I was standing in blood? Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. And would um, you, when you were going out, when you were writing them, how often were you testing them out in front of an audience? Were you writing stuff and then trying it that week? Or, and, and if yeah. so, did it always work? And if it didn't work, did you still believe it was funny? Because um, I mean, it, it's quite a big ask, I think, some of your stuff. Like, that was part of the, the magic yeah. of watching it, was seeing you get laughs out of having a, 
an egg for a head and saying shamai, <laughs> you know. And the fact you were getting away with it, that's what oh, felt so magic about what Also, she was one of the Minogues. She was. <laughs> <laughs> Just to, like, make it even weirder. Um, nothing ever, like... I'm trying to think. I, there was nothing that we sort of stopped doing. I think most sketches we kind of kept and kept on doing. There weren't many things that we dropped. We just keep going. Um, and was that because they always worked, or because if oh they no. didn't work? Like I remember I talked no, to Sam Simmons, who's them. in a similarly similarly absurd mm. world, maybe mm. to you, same sort of sphere. And he his angle on it is he's decided it's funny, and if they don't laugh, he gets angry. Mm. But I mean, do you find that you that they'd always laugh? Or that sometimes oh, no. you had to go... No, we, like, die all the time. But, um, like, I remember once we had to follow Michael McIntyre. And we did <laughs> we did Frank Skinner's night at one of those huge West End theatres. I mean, you know, those seats about a thousand or something. And uh, we just didn't... It just felt like we didn't really ever go down that well at stand-up nights. Because it's yeah. hard. We did a gig at my old university. I was really excited. And it was quite heartbreaking. Because... It was just stand-up, and it's it's like that tricky thing when you do sketch, because then you start to go, you're sending, like, an email going, oh, there are two mics. Yeah. Like, do you think the room's small enough that we'll just shout? Like, yeah. it's always that kind of extra stress of how are we going to... And we never had, like... We always meant to work... We always... When we were with both with Avalon, which we were at one point, and we sometimes... They'd always try and encourage us to do, like, the university circuit that big Avalon circuit. And we always meant, we always, we meant to work out like a 20 minute, quite accessible, clubby type Mm. set. And we always meant to do it and we never did. (laughs) But we talked about it a lot. Oh, you never worked one out? No, we never, we still did them, but we'd never, we'd, we'd leave in the car afterwards going, right, next time we should work out a little set that we can just pick up and do. Yeah. For like you know, fifty quid at Nottingham or something, but we never we never worked well, out. Why do you think is that? Because because you didn't do enough gigs to make it worthwhile, or is it just that? Because it sounds to me like I can't imagine you making a safety set. It doesn't seem to suit no, any of your we, ideas. We couldn't squeeze it into that sort of format ever to make it work in a sort of stand-up setting. But we. Well, it felt quite sort of arbitrary. We'd have amazing gigs, just followed by kind of shit ones and mediocre, like everyone. But no, we never, um, yeah, we never changed what we were doing to try and sort of suit a different audience. Like our, so our most mainstream sketch was a sketch about that we were both Carol Vorderman. <laughs> that was it. And something where we just shouted fruit eyes. That was like our most accessible thing, I think. And that's the thing we did after Michael McIndoe, and it was just silence. And then the evening standard said we were the low point of the evening. <laughs> How did that feel on stage in front of a thousand people? Humiliating. To be getting nothing. Was it humiliating? Yeah. Were you sort of in it with your friend and you can go, can, is there some eye contact going, well, they well, hate us, but we're together? Or... I think what used to happen when it went badly in Edinburgh, <laughs> we had different approaches. So I know that Anna would be like, she'd kind of speed up and just want to get through it. And I think she was always a bit like, right, if you don't fucking like this, then you're, you're going to hate this even fucking more, so just strap in. I think that was her attitude of, like, aggressively just doing it. And mine was sometimes I'd get the giggles because it would be so awkward, you know, when it's funny because you're just... I don't know what is that, like, shame. 
Um, and it would, I'd go into like sort of needy child mode to try and please. Yes. And Anna would just be like, fuck you. So that was probably quite interesting to watch when that was happening, I imagine. I think something that fascinates me about you is that... I am pretty fascinating. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, I, when we first met, when we met at World's College, it became apparent pretty quickly that you are, you're almost like, um, I don't even know what the word is, but whatever a polymath is for characters and accents and voices, like, you're mm. prodigiously good at those things. I remember oh, kind of I do enjoy that. them. Yeah. I do and enjoy imitation. You've got, you always had a, a sort of a sense of humour that I felt I couldn't keep up with. Do you know what I mean? Because <laughs> oh, like, wow. I, I would laugh the at you sometimes. old slow coach yeah. Stuart, plodding <laughs> no, but... along behind everyone. What does that mean? You seem to find the world so funny in a way that, in no, a way that like, I, I really find don't. things about the world funny. But you just seem to... No, I don't. The world to me is like a really awful, vulnerable place. <laughs> I don't find it funny. Like, when I'm, on my, when I'm on my own, I don't look for funny things, ever. I, I constantly look for funny things. I think you maybe just see things funny. No, I don't. No? No. You disagree? I don't, I don't think I do. I found your sense of humour quite intimidating sometimes, because I was like, I, I was sort of feeling like, I, I'm normally okay. a funny person. That's my kind of social stock in trade, or whatever the phrase is. And I just went, oh you're operating at a different level of... You know, not necessarily a better level. There frequently was. But it's just a different sort of level. Like, you've got a really... I don't to want to me say it's quirky... Like, do you know what? It's not... I don't think of things being funny. I think... Well, I mean, I, I know I did, but I think for me it's like... Um, um, it, it's just sort of... I, I think it's imagination and creativity. Like, I, I think... If I wasn't doing comedy, as long as I was had a creative outlet, I'd be happy. That's how it feels to me. And it just happens to be I'm turning that imagination and creativity onto comedy now. Does that make sense? Like, I think if I didn't go to drama school, I, think I could have gone to art school and just done that. Like, I, it's it, it doesn't... Does that make sense? Like, I like it to be feel original and creative. And then if it's also funny, then that's good as well. That's interesting. Because you're not, you're not sort of chasing a laugh. Is that what you mean? That you're, you, don't well, need, you don't need there to be a laugh. It's nice if there is, but actually what you're pursuing what is... I feel like a fraud sometimes, because I think I'm quite a chameleon. I feel like I'll give people what they want. So... If I'm writing for Radio 4, I feel like I know how to write for Radio 4. Maybe this isn't a bad thing. Or, you know, if I'm doing this, I know that now I'm in a studio sitcom and I've got to do this and behave and be broad. And I know when I'm allowed to be kind of willfully odd and people might, you know, I don't know, like... And maybe that's good. That Maybe that means, like, I'll earn a living. Maybe that means, like, longevity, but... I feel like I'm sneaky. Like I can, I can go in and out of things and modes. Just from just, I, I think that you. Um, I, I totally, I totally agree with that. I think you. I've seen you do lots of different sorts of work. Mm. Just from the perspective of work. someone who does all those different sorts, what things is it? If you're writing, just to spend a couple of minutes on this. If you're writing for Radio Four, what things are you doing? Who are you aiming at? What sort of person are you aiming at? What sort of jokes oh, this, are you using? This feels wrong now because this feels like I'm sort of. 
like I'm being mean about an o- my audience or something. Well, I, d- I don't think uh, I don't think we, people would. Or that Radio Four is one genre. It's not obviously, but I sort of feel like I've got a sense of the sort of things that are more likely to get made or liked that I've written is all, I suppose. And which, which ones are those? What sorts of things? What, what kind of aspects of those things well, do you feel are more comfortable with that? It's I just an assessment. It's I don't more, think you want to be offended. Well, I, sp- I mean, it sounds kind of... I was going to say it's more wordy, but, you know, it's, it is radio, so... <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of the, the demands that it be, but um, I suppose it's more kind of... You can have a gentler sense of humour on Radio 4. I adore writing for radio. I love it. Um, it feels like there are, there are less restrictions. You can... It, there's space for it to breathe a bit. You can write sort of, yeah, the dialogue that is more gentle and doesn't have to be... Keep people watching, you know, that sort of BBC Three sensibility. You don't have to have jokes, it sounds like what I'm saying. (laughs) But, um, yeah, it just feels like you can be more... You can be really imaginative and... But I guess, I suppose it's a sort of... Not a cleverness, but like a word play. It's kind of... It's more... um, It feels more kind of intellectual humour, I suppose. It's quite sort of middle-class, intellectual... So in terms of advice, if you were to, I'd like to hear like your advice for someone who's writing for Radio 4 and your advice for someone who's appearing in a studio but then sitcom. It shouldn't, it should change, shouldn't it? Radio 4 should be, look, should have other sorts of voices. And maybe it is. I, I'm not like, I'm not like familiar enough with all its output because maybe I'm wrong, but, um, it shouldn't just be that sort of middle class, polite humour. It shouldn't be, should it? But um, there is a lot of that. But I'm really proud of my little stuff I've written for you for, and they've been really amazing to me. In fact, so, which what, what things? I'm, I'm less familiar with your uh, your Radio Four output. What sorts of things have you done? You get the you get my CV. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wrote a sitcom for them, um, set in an island on sub Antarctica with Rishi Smith played this uh, guy that was out there doing albatross sexing. And we had two series, and uh, Alison Steadman was in it playing his mother, which was maybe one of the greatest moments of my life. There was a point where... Because she was my hero, heroine. There was a point where she was in the sand booth, and I had to go into the room and say to her, actually, Alison, I've changed this line to apple crumble. Can you say that apple crumble... Yeah, all right, Kate. Yeah, sure, Kate. And I just remember, like, coming out thinking, oh, oh my God, I've just told Alison Steadman, like, what to say. <laughs> this is a fucking extraordinary day. Um, I loved it. I loved being... And I did... I put myself in it, but not... Um, uh, I was going to say, not aggressively. <laughs> so, <laughs> it was really nice to be on the other side, to be the, the writer. That was really nice. But... Um, yeah, I'm I'm thinking about writing something else for them because I really do love it. Well, I, I want to try and maybe adapt the the book, this book I wrote of of, of monologues. Yes, well, I was thinking about trying to do them on radio. They'd be good. Um, 
I wanted to but talk to you about that because advice, I, I, I remember when you... Oh, no, can I, so can I just say one thing? So yesterday morning, I get a postcard from a real scientist in Antarctica who has listened to the show. And, Amazing. Oh, have I just got it on me? Oh, I think I've got it on me. I know the listeners won't be able to... But I, I will independently verify its existence. Look at this. <laughs> Actually, look at this. Okay, so the stamp says Falkland Islands. There's a stamp on it. It was called Bird Island. Okay. This is Bird Island Research Station. Oh, my God. The, the British Antarctic Can Survey. I read it? Can you yeah, please read it? Because it's so Hi, lovely. Katie. It was nice to hear a comedy show that I could relate to. Though I think I understand how Ozzy Osbourne feels when he watches Spinal Tap. Oh <laughs> That's very nice. All the best. Uh, name. And then Name. Penguin and Petrol Field Assistant, yeah. 2012 to 2015. Winter Base Commander, 2013-2014. I don't know why I deleted his name there. I thought it would just be... Yeah, no, polite. I understand. That's wonderful. Well, it's just... Oh, I just find lovely. it extraordinary because it was a sitcom about this. It was, you know, I just basically stole this man's life, wrote about it, and he's somehow listened to it. That's really nice. Anyway... When you were at, uh, when we were at Welsh College, mm. you did your final piece, and it was a monologue that you'd mm. written yourself. Yeah, and I think it's which, in the book. Yeah, I was. Well, I was going to ask because yeah, that, is. that is advice that is the that's the opposite of what they tell people who are is graduating. It? Yes, they say is don't it? don't write your own monologue. Oh, I didn't know that. Yes, absolutely. Oh, they go, no, 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 no don't think for one minute you you're an actor, you're not a writer. Yeah, don't think that. <laughs> oh, wasn't that shit? Why would you say that to someone? I think I think I'm yeah. I don't know, I'm, I may be misquoting all drama schools then, I've not been to all of them, but I think, I'm sure at the time we were given the advice to not do that. And oh. you had the confidence in yourself to do it, and what was the monologue that you did? Which one is it from the book? Um, it was about, well, it all sounded quite odd out of context, I can't remember, but I think it was about, it was about backpacking in, in France, and about encountering this woman with a moustache, I, I think that's all I I remember. Um, yeah, I think that's when I started writing them, wasn't it, at Welsh College? Um, little did I know it would be a book. That was amazing. And what's the book called? Uh, so it's, I think it's called, well, Oberon published them. They do a lot of, they're a sort of very much a theatrical um, publishers, you know, mostly plays and actors' autobiographies. So they're quite sort of small but brilliant. So it's called The Oberon Book of Comic Monologues for Women. And I'm, I've just started writing book two. Is it sort of like tomorrow? <laughs> <laughs> I just started tomorrow. Yeah. Before we move on, I wanted to, I, I wanted to dig a little bit into the 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 way you turned the double act, the the, the theatre, the comedy club double act, mm. Anna and Katie, mm. into the TV show. Mm. Because I was, I, I didn't, I mm. saw a bit of it at the time, and I sort of refreshed my memory again with it recently. Mm. And I think I was. I was surprised by how surreal you managed to keep it. Mm, and, yeah. But in the beginning, you, we at the beginning of this conversation, you said... Um, it wasn't. That it wasn't. It, was, it <laughs> seemed very tame. So what mm. sorts of things, what kind of... Um, were there any sort of pressures put on you? Did you have meetings where they said, look, this is too weird? Well, um, sorry. It's that stale bread you gave me. Um, it was stale, wasn't it? Sorry, I didn't A little guess. bit, but the butter's helping it. <laughs> the... Rough, we made the show with Rough Cut, who were great, great to work with. John Petrie, who I actually went on a nine-mile walk with a couple of days ago. Oh, yeah. And other people. Um, That's an loved... exercise name drop. Is that what that is? Like a humble brag. <laughs> we walked nine miles. Um, it, he was really great to work with. He saw our 2009 Edinburgh show 
And from that, we went in to Rafka and made a comedy lab. Yes. So I sort of feel like he saw that live show. He knew exactly what we were up to. <laughs> he knew exactly what he was getting himself into. Uh, so that was... Because that was our starting point, I think we, we always assumed nobody was going to say, now change. Um, and we were we were really lucky with Channel 4 because they, they sort of did leave us alone. Um, <clears throat> I think in the edit is perhaps when it, it got a bit more, we were really having to fight for things that were weirder or didn't have a punchline. We were quite bad at endings. Isn't everyone? <laughs> um, so it, it, um, it was when we were putting the episodes together that we were, everyone was really conscious about, you know, putting the most accessible, that's a really lame word, stuff up front. Yes. Um, <clears throat> it's like we, we used to have an agent that once said to us after a gig, it was just the way he phrased it. He went, all right, girls, um, yeah, it's good. I think I think what you what you need to do now is put a big one up front. <laughs> and we always say to each other, "We need to put a big one up front for this." So we were in order, really in order to kind of get attract in order in order to not turn away the sorts of people who are going to be yeah confused. And I think it's the sort of classic thing you do, isn't it? You go right. Here's our strongest stuff in episode one two and then you hide the stuff you're not sure about in four and five and then you end you is know, that right is that how it yeah, works yeah that's how idea. it works okay. and then you pop in a big one at the bottom <laughs> <laughs> that's how it works so that's sort of what we tried to do um we were really lucky i think that we were allowed i mean there was there was certainly there was so we had some amazing writers that wrote stuff for us and there's still some stuff now that Anna and I wished we'd been allowed to film. I mean, Go on, what were, you, what were you not allowed? Well, oh, it was kind of sad. I mean, there was so much stuff that we were in love with. There, and it was awful because I, rem- I might not match up the right writer with the right sketch and that's going to be really heartbreaking. That's OK. They can send um, me an email if they get furious and I'll, I'll ref it on a future show. Tom Bell wrote some brilliant stuff that we never got to film. Jono from Sheeps wrote a really lush thing. Oh, yeah. Helen Cripps wrote something awesome. Joe Wilkinson wrote a brilliant thing. I find as I get older, the things that make me laugh have become narrower and so specific and so odd. Like, sometimes just a noise for me in a half-an-hour show will be the highlight. Okay. Just the noise of something being squished or something. <laughs> I know that this makes me sound retarded. I can't tell you. This is what I find so weird and infuriating when people say they didn't find things funny because it's, I don't think you can help what you find funny. It's involuntary, right? When you laugh. Like, isn't it in, so ingrained? It's so um, subjective. What's the point of arguing about it? It's just odd, isn't it? That people get so angry. Sometimes. Yes. Yeah, Sometimes. absolutely. If people don't find something... I've often thought that if people don't find something funny, they worse than not like it. But I think as well, it's like... Yeah, it's like... Because obviously it's different when something's offensive. That's a different thing, I think. But some of the comments we'd get after some Edinburgh shows, it was like we were questioning their worldview by going, this is funny to us. It was like people were angry because they were scared that they'd seen something else and they didn't like it. 
because it wasn't a joke that had a middle beginning and end, and they were just furious. I love the way that even, even attempting to describe a normal joke, you put it the wrong way around. <laughs> middle beginning what did I say? And end. Oh, yeah, God. Yeah, that's very you. <laughs> I didn't mean to do that. Um, it, it's really, it is, it's curious. It's like people are upset by it being different. Um, yeah, it is curious. <clears throat> but yeah, so we were, we were really, um, we were very lucky. I think we were allowed to be fairly surreal, I think. On the subject, I'm aware that we're, we're running out of time. Oh, but it's gone so quick. I wanted to talk to you yeah. about uh, therapy, which yeah. we talked about earlier on. And it's uh, I've done a lot of therapy over the years. And um, one of the things I am obsessed mm. with, as my listeners will know, um, is how people cope with the life of a comedian and how people cope with life generally. Do mm-hmm. you think there's a relationship between your happiness and your work? Um, hmm. I get down when I'm not working, definitely. And I think that's, that's some very practical things like lack of structure, not feeling relevant, not having something to do, not being engaged. So probably more time to wallow in one's own self-pity. Like, I, I, I struggle with that structure, I think. So... Not working is definitely a small kind of tender time. I'd say. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> That's quite a weird word, isn't it? <laughs> but it is. I have to. Mm. Yeah. Um, I think I used to just waste time and daydream. I'm a terrible daydreamer, and uh, and a, a bit of a fantasist. I think so. When I'm not working, I sometimes feel like I waste a lot of times lying about <laughs> daydreaming. But maybe that's that's what I have to do in order to write. So it does inform, you know, it's useful to have that. But sometimes not. I sometimes think all I've done today is day is just fantasize about this and daydream. Yes, it's quite difficult that there's no. It's a shame there isn't any sort of visual proof that you yeah, needed to do that no much proof. daydreaming to create like, that particular thing. I remember once because it probably is the case. I remember once finding this woman's blog. It really scared me. And it said that she was in um, Daydreamers Anonymous. Not, I'm not kidding. And she said, please don't do what I have done. I have wasted my life fantasising. I don't have a job. I'm not married. I've got no children. I'm 45 because I'm addicted to daydreaming. And that really scared me. <laughs> God, that sounds like a Twilight Zone thing. But, but I mean, she was, she was really genuine. God knows why I found that. I just remember reading it and thinking, fuck, I've got to stop daydreaming. <laughs> But you have, I mean, we mentioned your CV earlier on, and your CV is respectable and oh, full. Oh, God. Like I, you work loads. And the other thing I love doing is beating myself up. My friends find it hilarious. My friends say to me, there's this fucking arsehole that lives in your head, and you're not mean about anyone else, just about yourself. Yeah. I think that's common. Yes. I think self-esteem is like being on sand. I think it's up and down, up and down, isn't it? And you're just going with it. Um, I'm not disagreeing with you at all, but how is that like sand? Like walking on sand. Like okay. Like it's not stable, and you sort yes, of got you. I got you. Okay. You're kind of it's undulating. <laughs> I think. Um, and how is your self-esteem when you are working? Does working always heal you? Are you always happy with? No, no, no. Sometimes 
it's like I've kind of learnt now. I've learnt the um, I've learnt the things that might set me off and how to kind of look after myself. I suppose. I mean, I'm well done. Yeah, thanks. I'm a hundred times less mental than I was. <laughs> I'm really proud of that. Like I'm, I'm pretty, I'm pretty even uh, tempered and sorted. I think I like to think, but um, yeah, like it's hard, isn't it? I think most creative people are quite sensitive and quite reactive to everything. Sometimes it feels like you're not in control of it. You know what I mean? When it feels like. It's going to sound absolutely... No, 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 go This on. is going to sound this ridiculous. Is... But literally, you know, like if you're... Say if you're like just in the car on the way here, you like see a child's hand being tugged just slightly too hard and it just makes you feel sad for about 10 minutes. Like it, you'll just take on... Yeah. You know that thing where you... If you're kind of very... If you have a lot of empathy, I suppose. It just you just take on other people's stuff too easily, yes. And and you really you absorb it. I yeah. do, and I, you absorb people's anxiety, and then you're anxious. It's like these little subtle cues you're picking up all the time. It's really tiring of like taking on other people's emotional states. That like a little sponge that seems to happen, but no, I've learnt little things like you know if I just sometimes I can now say to myself I'm just tired. I've I've okay. gone into a dark place because I'm tired because I didn't sleep like I I have to ignore it because tomorrow I won't feel like that. Um. So you know, working definitely is good for one's self esteem. It's difficult though because I sort of feel like it's not that I'm not ambitious, but I feel like I've worked with a lot of you know famous people, worked with a lot of names, and a lot of them aren't a lot of them aren't happy and they have succeeded and they are famous and they have achieved and they're fucked. So it's like, I've never thought that this was the answer just to achieve and achieve and achieve. Like that's, that's going to be like never getting full. That's just going to be like eating and never being full. If you're not already sort of sorted, you know what I mean? Um, and I feel like it's a stupid thing to say when, you know, saying that someone's got no money seems really crass and horrible. I don't mean you. I mean, like, <laughs> why? You know what I mean? It's yes. like, I can't remember that saying of like, oh, I'd love to know what it's like to, to have loads of money and still not be happy. Yeah. You know I mean, it's like, yeah. it feels like a really... Um, well, that's what Stephen Fry talks about all the time, doesn't he? He's just saying, I have this amazing life and I'm still not happy and people must be really infuriated by that. Um but I, I understand, though. There's nothing you can... You know, one's original woundings, as I would call them. I think most people original have. Original woundings. Yeah, that kind of... Yes. You know, if you have a wound of some kind and you carry it with you at all times, nothing will ever fix it. And some people's wounds are so apparent, aren't they? And they're just... They keep going, they keep going, and it's just... It's open, and nothing is changing that. So I have a sort of... I think I have a healthy attitude to work because I don't want it to be everything. I don't want it to just be this kind of anxious, insecure mess that's constantly feeling that life's this competition and you've got to beat everyone else and be the funniest and the best and win. I mean, I get flashes of it. Sometimes I'll go, oh, oh, that they're doing that. Oh, why wasn't I asked to do that? Because that's normal, but I, I don't want it to be... 
that that's all there is, if that makes sense. I think you should have a sort of balance. But it's hard, though, because I have moments of feeling ambitious, thinking, actually, I should push myself. And then I have this weird sort of thing of, no, meaningless. If you can't be happy now, you never will be. <laughs> that's interesting. I really relate to that. Really? Yes. I'm, I, I have been through periods in my life of being really, really ambitious. Yeah. And then in the same way as I... Like, I, I remember... I remember being a kid and decide. I remember the moment I decided that I didn't need to be rich in order to be happy. Mm, well, yeah. And I think in a similar way, I've sort of over the years grown into it. I feel like I've grown into this thing of going, oh, I don't need to be successful in order to be happy. Mm. Oh, it's, it seems I'm not very happy anyway a lot of the time. I wish I'd bothered being successful. Yeah. I mean, no, it does work. Does give me like enormous pleasure. It, I'm probably underplaying it. It really does. It really does. Um, yeah, amazing. I've been so lucky and I get to choose what I do a lot and I get, you know, it's, it's, I'm incredibly blessed to be able to kind of have all this creative freedom and get up and just write a little thing and send to someone and someone say, yeah, that's good. I mean, that's really nice. (laughs) And I do, I need approval. I do have moments of real insecurity. I I totally need approval and and sadly there's certain people's approval i really want more than others obviously you know, how, how do you mean sad. sort of like people like parents or do you mean figures in the industry no or not even par- like no yeah like people i admire people who i want i secretly want them like if someone goes oh i i mean it's really sad you know certain people liking a tweet will make will set off some endorphins okay yes that person that person who i respect is like that so that must mean i'm like them that's how it feels. It's like wanting approval from the correct people <laughs> is how it feels. Specific approval, which is sort of quite sad. But that just means, oh, no, okay, if they... It's sad that I don't have a more um, sort of internal approval system. <laughs> that, that, <laughs> yeah. Does that make sense? Absolutely. But I think we all have that, don't we? You want to sort of, your peers to like what you're doing. That feels important. And it's a bit pointless because it's probably the public you should think about more, isn't it? I oh, I don't know. I think there's two I think there's two camps. And I think some people are really desperate for the public's approval and they mm. become a certain type of performer. Yeah. And I think some people are more concerned with... We all want to be liked, yeah. I think, don't we, really? I mean, I... I um... What were we saying about, yeah, self-esteem? Yeah, of course, of course, it does. It's weird, though, isn't it? It's weird how you can... Sometimes there's that feeling of... um, doing a massive show or doing something live, like a studio sitcom or a big show, and then you go home on your own to a hotel room or something, and it's the contrast is so strange. I always... I struggled, I think, in my 20s with how... Up and down it was as in it as a job, and when you're quite an up and down person, then you're like the whole combination, the highs and the lows. It's a cliche, but it is. It, it does feel like that sometimes. Um, yeah, and it's it's a funny thing when you meet people and they project all this stuff onto you and they want you to be a certain way, and it makes me so uncomfortable. Like they want me to start saying sort of. They want me to start saying kind of camp nonsense. Or they want me to start saying funny things. Or they want me to, like, name drop. Like, they want me to this is be show busy. Yeah. 
Yeah, sometimes, or, you know, just other, certain other people, people who, who, who have bought into it as a hierarchy system. They want you to sort of treat them badly almost. Like, I'm a fucking star, fuck you. Give me my coffee. They want you to do it. You know, have you ever met people like that? It's weird. Some people want you to be starry or they want you to... Yeah, it's, it's, it's really strange. Um, like I had this... Yeah, this guy on the tube, is, he was just... He was telling me all the famous people he'd met and then asking me if I knew them. And I didn't know who they were. I was like, no, I'm sorry. Like, um, yeah, no, it, it's strange when that happens. Just... To draw really things to a close. Rambling, yeah. No, not at all. It's good rambling. I enjoyed the ramble. Um, what do you anticipate from the next ten or twenty years of your career? What predictions. You... <laughs> predictions. <laughs> predictions. <laughs> well, yeah, predictions or, or hopes, aspirations. I was on holiday. Fears. What was the worst on... thing that could happen to you? I'd lose a limb. Oh god, I've jinxed it. I'm gonna lose a limb. Oh fuck. Um, I remember it was, I was. I was on holiday and there was this really sweet German woman and um, it was New Year's, We'd gone to Thailand with some friends and she sat down at the table and she went, so what's everyone's predictions for 2014? Like, that's like a really normal question to start with. And I think, what do you mean, like in science? Like, what do you mean, like in our lives? Like in the economy? Like what can you possibly mean? So what's everyone's predictions, huh? It was really funny. Um, what what would what would satisfy you? Where would it satisfy you to be in ten? Oh, do you know what I'm? I know I, I can't give you a straight answer because I'm really conf- I'm I'm the, it's the worst time to ask <laughs> that question because I don't know. I'm really um I'm really stuck between. I don't know because part of me thinks well I'll be thirty five this year. Shock. I know, I don't look it, that's what they'll be, that's what they'll be saying. Um, so part of me thinks, well, I should think about maybe getting married and having children now, because I'll run out, my eggs will run out. Um, so part of me is thinking about things to do with not work at all, and thinking that that's what I need now. And this other part of me is feeling very kind of brave and ambitious and and open to doing things I never imagined I'd be doing. And um, thinking of, I don't know. So it's, I feel kind of split. And then I, th- I predict what will happen is that I'll just carry on, I'll just carry on doing the same sort of stuff, which is actually, you can't really plan it. Like I get an email, do you want to do this? Oh, okay. And that's how it seems to have gone so far. I haven't made any plans at all. Um... I've worked hard. I think Anne and I have worked very hard. We've been a double act for, you know, nine years or something. And that seems about the right length of time to me before you have your own TV show. <laughs> that seems about right. Yes. I remember years ago someone telling me you had to go to Edinburgh once to see what Edinburgh was like. Then you had to go to, you had to take the, another show back the next year to show you were serious. <laughs> you know, and then the third funny. year someone would give a damn. And I, I yeah. really, I think in terms of trying to get on TV, I think nine years is much more realistic. Yeah. I mean, I'm not saying, I'd like to believe that women can have it all, as the expression goes. So I'm not saying I'm now choosing to just give it all up and <laughs> have a baby. I mean, I don't have the choice to have a baby at the moment. But um, I, 
well, it's just it's just getting older, isn't it? It's just more complicated, more options. Who knows? I don't know. I, I like to imagine that I'd, I'd like to just carry on working. That's how I always... I just felt very grateful to still be working. <laughs> that was the plan, to still be earning money from it. And that's worked out. So as long as that carries on. Yeah, who knows? I'm, I'm enjoying writing more and more. And that's been... That's something I didn't quite have the confidence to do. I, didn't, I couldn't take myself seriously, really. But these um, last few um, years... I'm more and more, um, like someone's asked me a, about writing a novel and I mean, it's just bizarre, I've got a meeting about it. It seems bizarre to me, all the people that could write one that's better than <laughs> my imagined one. Um, but I mean, I think I should explore these avenues, it would be so exciting. So yeah, with the writing, I, I'm not as confident, it doesn't, it doesn't feel as innate, I think because I come from a family of actors and they're all performers, you know, dancers, opera singers, musicians, every art form has been covered by a Wix at some point going back over the past few generations. It really has. So, it, and I was like the first person in my family to go to university. So it kind of feels like, I don't know, I have a sort of insecurity with my writing. I feel like... Um, I don't know, that I'm, it, it feel fraudulent, that I'm not really well read enough, and I'm not really, do you know what I mean? What, just because of your background? Yeah, I just think, because I, I feel like I've come later to writing, really taking it seriously, and really trying to write, like really trying my bestest, and not just comedy, you know, like, more sort of heartfelt, earnest stuff. Maybe it's a, a comic brain, because that's such a theme of, Un, um, undoing things and not being earnest it does feel like you do the opposite of that in comedy yes. it's like when I suddenly do a drama I suddenly go oh god god I have to say this and mean it it's really embarrassing <laughs> I can't like pull a face it's really embarrassing <laughs> I have to say this and completely mean it I have to say do you want a cup of tea and I have to <laughs> and is that hard well I don't know if I've been doing comedy solo because obviously we started out trying to be we, we're classically trained actors aren't we <laughs> I really don't think of myself <laughs> anymore but there was definitely a point maybe before I really really got into comedy and thank god I did and like you know I, I have the best friends in the world through it and it's an amazing little community I think but um there, I think it's ruined my ability <laughs> to be to, to mean something a bit sometimes. God, that's an interesting thought. <laughs> I mean, I don't think... It's funny, isn't it? Like, my friends, friends outside of comedy, I'd say my normal friends, like, from Cardiff or from uni or whatever, like, I do think they find it perplexing, the comedy world. Mm. I do think they... It's like, oh, God, I remember this is a perfect example. Like, um... Uh, a friend of mine's girlfriend didn't want to come to one of the big comedy parties that I was going to. I can't remember it was, but I think she'd said, well, why... It's just you all stand around in a circle and make each other laugh. Like, but all you do is... All it is is comics standing around in a circle and trying to, like, outdo each other. And when he said that, I was like, 
And that is the best night of your life. <laughs> What's your problem? Because that, to me, is why I would go. That's like the best thing ever. And I understand that if you're not in that club and it's weird and you don't do that, that it's, like, it's intimidating or it's odd. But to me, it's like, it's lush. It's how you communicate and it's like the best thing ever. And that's why I would go to stand around and, and know that there's people there that can make me laugh and you make them laugh and it's great. I really enjoy it. And if that's wrong, then, <laughs> then I want to be wrong. Um, but I understand if that's all you do all night. I don't know. I can sort of understand now that at some point you have to have a real conversation to... And some some comics can't. They actually can't. Oh, I know that well, yes. They can't. And it's exhausting. And I love the banter, but and now I understand. I hate the word banter. Oh, fuck. Yes, it's been ruined slightly, isn't it? But I understand now that sometimes it's good to breathe and step out and then mm. and then say um and then talk about your mortgage with someone else and then go back to going and then I'm going to build and I'm going to build and then I'm going to play Mallet's Mallet and then I'm going to do which I can't help but I do do I can't help it you can't help it can you um but it's nice to have both isn't it not just yeah Thanks, Katie. So that was Katie. Thank you to her for coming along. Thank you to you for listening. Uh, it suddenly occurs to me that I don't think I thanked uh, any of my production assistants, uh, Podblins. As I, I don't know where I'm getting the L from in Podblins. It's sort of like gremlins but then i don't know where the bees from um so thank you very much to nathan in particular who has co-produced the last couple of shows uh, un- unmentioned <laughs> anonymously in the last instance um so uh, nathan would co-produce this one and uh there may or may not have been some uh some podmin uh, by the brilliant olivia phipps who very frequently helps me out uh, i'm recording this at a time when i don't know whether or not she's <laughs> she's able to help on this one so i'll just thank her anyway she's lovely thanks to you for listening and uh, we'll be back soon with Tom Tuck or Andrew O'Neill, depending on the order in which I manage to get the fine-tuning of the, uh, the technical stuff. It's very boring um, and partially made up. Anyway, that's it for now. Thanks to Katie. Do, do download the, um, uh, the you can see, sorry, you can watch online, you can stream Anna and Katie from channel4.com. Uh, and remember Katie's book, The Oberon Book of Comic Monologues for Women. Oberon spelled O-B-E-R-O-N, you know, like Oberon. Have a look for that. And it's really, really good. Uh, I, I know from first-hand experience that her writing is exceptionally funny. And uh, I think if you are a young lady person or an older lady person, then there will be something in there for you if you need an audition speech that will really knock the socks off whoever you're... I mean, because that's just nice, isn't it? If you've got a new... I'm not being paid to do this. I just think Katie's wonderful. Um, I just think it's... I remember the time of being an actor. <laughs> so hideous, it makes me freeze up. But trying to find a monologue that no one else had already done to death, very, very difficult. So great stuff that Katie has done that. Um, that is it. Right. I'm going to go and pack, throw some things in a bag and get on a plane. Speak to you soon.